electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Black Friday doorbusters. Wait, does anyone do that anymore? Whether you're shopping in-store or online, Macy's former CEO Terry Lundgren says it's crunch time. Friday today is important for momentum. It's important for for uh, for you to have a, a good experience, a good positive experience going into the stores, and you'll want to go back. Plus, China's long COVID impacting global retail. I can't get this China story out of my head. Companies that are finding all new ways to get sourcing out of China, and that's not going to go back. And what else got us squawking this holiday? I'm curious if it came back in your guys' conversations during Thanksgiving. It did not come up at our table. It came up at ours. Crypto exchange Binance offers a recovery fund for a shaken industry. Elon Musk says a new Twitter is coming. I was kind of dreading the thought of coming in here today and talking about it because I'm kind of sick of it. And Warren Buffett spending down billions. It's not the portfolio you would have for a typical 92-year-old, right? It's not cautious. (laughs) It's not fixed income. It is Friday, November 25th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Steve Leisman, who is joining us today because Joe is off. Welcome, Steve. It's good to see you. Good to be here. And Andrew, good to see you, too. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope everybody had a great holiday. Elon Musk says that he is granting amnesty for suspended Twitter accounts as soon as next week. The new policy coming after Musk posted a poll to his own Twitter timeline asking users if the platform should grant amnesty to suspended accounts, quote, if they have provided that they haven't broken the law or engaged in egregious spam. Musk used the same method to decide whether or not to reinstate former President Trump to Twitter. And Musk says he is tentatively set to relaunch Twitter Blue as soon as Friday of next week, with all verified accounts being manually authenticated before being granted a checkmark. And guys, I don't know exactly what that means. If you already have a checkmark, do you lose it and wait to see if you are reinstated? Probably be difficult to do with fewer employees on the payroll, but uh, here we go again. I'm interested in this uh, bringing back the people from uh, who were doing hate speech thing, Becky. Isn't there like a, a, a Batman movie where the Joker lets all the criminals out of jail? <laughs> Isn't that what this is? I mean, and, and if they come back, can they still do hate speech? Has he decriminalized hate speech? It's okay to do hate speech? Or My guess what's is the deal? You can't. I mean, maybe this was a suspension. You get kicked off again. I don't know. Andrew, what do you think? I, I don't understand using the polls for this because... For As you know, he's been complaining since the very beginning before this deal that the entire platform is, is being controlled by bots and fake users and influenced in all sorts of ways they shouldn't be. So, you know, it's sort of hard to understand. I mean, I think we knew what the outcome of these polls would be before the polls were, were made. And I don't remember. I don't know what's happened. If you remember to uh, this council that he said he planned to establish, I don't understand what it means 
to the extent that he wants advertising revenue, I would think that the advertisers would say, I thought that there was going to be a sort of a governor or, or some kind of council that would at least look at this. It wasn't just uh, one man uh, putting his finger in the wind. Now, I know he would say it's not one man putting his finger into the wind. It's it's millions of people uh, on, on the platform. The question is, A, who are those people? But B, are, the, are even are those people real? So, you know, it just feels like it's going to be an experiment again. I have to say, though, I'm having a tough time mustering up the, the desire to talk about it. I'm kind of talked out when it comes to the Twitter stuff. We'll see what happens. It's definitely interesting. I think we pay a lot of attention to it because we're on the platform and we see it. Um, I guess we'll see what happens next week. But uh, I, I was kind of dreading the thought of coming in here today and talking about it because I'm kind of sick of it. I'm at another level here, Becky. I'm, this idea of bringing back the hate speech thing, I, I, it felt like bringing back the former president, deal with that. But, but I, the hate speech thing's a real thing, you know? I, 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 my guess is he's not going to be able to allow hate speech to proliferate. They've got to find a way to stop it. If you let people back on and they continue it, hopefully they get taken off. That would be my guess and my hope. Like I, it, but we don't have any information on that this no, morning. No, we don't. He's just got a poll, and and the voice of people is the voice of God. And if the voice of God says bring back hate speech... But are you surprised by any of this? Are you surprised that this is where we are and that... This I am really surprised, Becky. I don't know what this guy is thinking at all. I cannot... Get, I mean, if you take sort of... Maybe he's taking this, like, libertarian ideal about this. Yeah. You're, you're, you don't want to talk about I, it anymore. I feel you're like done. I, we have talked about it for so You're long. done. I know. We're I know. Okay. And it's a privately held company. And yes, it's important. It's a, it's a very visible place. And there are going to be people who are upset. Hopefully, I hope the hate speech doesn't come back too. But I, I can't, you know, we'll see what happens next Friday. We'll see what happens. Okay, let's talk um, a little bit of cryptocurrency. It is an important story and uh, has huge implications uh, for society. Uh, that is the Twitter story, but also the next story. Cryptocurrency exchange Binance committing a billion dollars to an industry recovery fund. It comes in the wake of the collapse of the rival exchange FTX, of course, which is now seeking bankruptcy protection. Want to check out cryptocurrency prices right now. What you're looking at right now is Bitcoin used to be... I, actually, I'm curious if it came back in your guys' conversations during Thanksgiving. You remember those... Sort of every other year, there's been this sort of uh, crypto conversation that's emerged. And in fact, historically, when that's happened, it's moved up. But uh, right now, we're at 16478 bucks on Bitcoin ETH at about $1,187. Did uh, you actually talk about it? On... Wait, did you actually talk about it at Thanksgiving, Andrew? Always. Always. But it's who's been... Who's at your table I mean... versus who's at mine? I, there was like just um, the kids and... <laughs> It did not come up at our table. It came up at ours, and, 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 and everybody turned to me, wanted to know what I thought about it. And what did you say? Exactly. I have not been a crypto fan. I don't think anybody who trades, I don't think anybody who sells or buys crypto really understands what a currency is. And I think that there's been a, a, a I, I, by the way, I don't really quite understand what a crypto is, what a cryptocurrency is, so I'm sort of ignorant on that on that score. But, but I don't think that people really understand what a currency is. And I think people, you had somebody on, Andrew, last week who talked about, uh, you know, Fed's monetary policy, and that's why, well, guess what? The Fed implemented what it thinks to be, you know, a, a decent monetary policy, and the dollar recovered and became very strong. And so that call that somehow the, the, the monetary authority was going to let the currency twist in the right. wind with this inflation ended up being wrong. You can call it um, security, though. I think you can call some of these securities. And that's but, where the but argument But security based on what? What is the... That you can trade these things and go back. You can trade anything. But what's the... I mean, you get this issue of underlying value, and that's connected to use. 
and, and I know that there are specific uses of it, but I don't know that there are specific uses that are unique to it that are not usable by either a, the existing dollar system or the digital dollar system. So would you call it a commodity? Like I, I don't know what to call it. I have things that I call it, not all of which are, um, are, are suitable for, for family television. <laughs> I mean, Andrew, I, what did you guys talk about with, at, at the Thanksgiving table? Like, what what aspect of it came up with the the collapse of BTK? Of, no, uh, just you know, the collapse of FTX. It, by the way, it goes yeah. to the central. It goes to the issue that I think um, Steve is talking about in some ways, which is just how decentralized is crypto, how centralized is crypto, and ultimately whether there's a value to having a central bank uh, for a country or even even beyond that. And so, you know, um, I've got kids, and they have. Uh, They've got they've got lots of interest in uh, all of this stuff. That was the oh, conversation. Are, were there other adults at the table, Andrew, or just the kids? We're, we're kids. It's a kids' table. It's a kid. The whole family is a kid table. Warren Buffett donated more than seven hundred and fifty million dollars to his family charities this week. SEC filings show that the billionaire investor gave one point five million Class B Berkshire Hathaway shares to the Susan Thompson Buffett Foundation, which is named for his first wife. He also gave 300,000 Class B shares to each of the three foundations that are run by his children, the Sherwood Foundation, the Howard G. Buffett Foundation, and the Novo Foundation. All the way since 2006, Buffett has been making annual donations to these four charities and to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He made that donation to all five of those charities in June this year. The Gates Foundation is not included in this latest gift. Buffett uh, telling me about this, that the donation on Thanksgiving Eve was no coincidence just in terms of timing. He says he's thankful for his children, and this was his way of giving thanks for the job that they've done with their charitable work. I've got a personal pride in how my kids have turned out. I feel good about the fact that they know I feel good about them. This is the ultimate endorsement in my kids, and it's the ultimate statement that my kids don't want to be dynastically wealthy. Now, you probably know that Beck Buffett has said for decades that he would give his money away. He says he's going to give away 99% of his wealth, and he says this is just him doing what he always said that he would do, but he did want to point out that uh, he just feels great about his kids and the job that they've been doing. Uh, giving away the money, that's the job he didn't want to do. He thinks they do it really well. How much more is there to give away? Is he on track to? Over $100 billion. You got 100 billion left to give away, yeah. and this was 750 million. Uh, a little more than that. So he's got to do that 100 million. more times, or? Well, the donations that he gives annually are several billion dollars. So he's on but, top of that. But while he's been doing all those billions, like the money keeps piling up, and he said that's the big difference. If you live to 92, it just the last 20 years really matter, just in terms of how much wealth accumulates. This is again the power of a long runway, and why when you invest, you want to do it early, put away as much as you can. Right. And try and but also, he keeps making money. Yeah. But, well, well, <laughs> he keeps having more and more to give away. Well, he keeps making money because he's left it in the Berkshire shares. He right. makes $100,000 a year. No, but he, I'm not saying, right, the, his asset value is going that's up. The key. If, you, if you save it and, and you are a long-term investor, it's back to the Ben Franklin, just long-term investing, having the time frame to do it, the last 20 years make a huge amount of difference. He said he wouldn't be able to do this if he died at 72 because he's 92 and he's still going with this. The money keeps growing and compounding. Is his portfolio portfolio, this is a crazy question. It's not the portfolio you would have for a typical 92-year-old, right? It's not, it's not cautious. It's not <laughs> fixed income. It's not, it's no, like no, he's no. out there, right? In terms of, well, yeah, it's Berkshire. I right. mean, that's, that's, that's what it is. And it's it, investing in stocks, but he's somebody who has preached to the masses about the idea that you probably don't want to be in bonds. You're losing money if when you're young, you're not fully invested in stock. He preaches right. that every year every in the year. annual meeting. Right. It's, it's why I'm fully invested in stocks, listening to him.
You have no bonds? No. I just bought some bonds. And, and by the way, stocks, when I say stocks, it's mutual funds because we're not allowed to. Right, right, to of course, of course. Right, 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 it's right. It's that right. and Comcast. But, but I yes. just bought some bonds. I thought 470, 450 on it the is a two good year price lately. was a nice number for it some is. cash that I had lying around and some other stuff that I didn't uh, oh, like. Oh, by the way, I have to take it back. I do own bonds. I own I bonds. Just, but you can only own 10,000 of them a year. Those are the only bonds, the inflation bonds, because they're paying north of 9%. We will get to the rest of Becky Quick's portfolio. <laughs> I just want to be totally clear. The I do want some bonds, the I-bonds, that's it. We're going to want to know every single asset allocation, Becky. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod. Retailers feeling the pressure to deliver sales this Black Friday, aiming to get to pre-pandemic levels of spending. But will a penny-pinching consumer and COVID lockdowns affecting the world's largest iPhone factory mean it's all less than merry? The supply streams are not going to go back to what they were. This is the new normal, if you want to use that phrase. The supply and the demand. Former Macy's CEO Terry Lundgren joins us. There is money to spend. It is dwindling, and it's dwindling fast. They will spend it over the next uh, next five, six weeks. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand under by in three, two, one, cue Ander. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Steve Leisman. A day after Thanksgiving, Joe's off. It's nice to see both of you once again. You too. China expanding lockdown measures across the country as COVID-19 cases hit a new daily record. Want to get over to Beijing where Eunice Yoon joins us with the latest. Eunice. Thanks, Andrew. Well, the reported case count is now close to 33,000 for the country. The leadership appears to be trying to tolerate this higher number in line with its uh, revised, uh, more precise, they say, uh, COVID, zero COVID strategy. However, unofficially, lockdowns, quarantines, business shutdowns are so much more frequent and inconsistent throughout the country, including here in Beijing. In China's iPhone city, or Zhengzhou, which is in central China. Uh, that city is now in uh, mostly in lockdown until Tuesday. And this comes after uh, there were violent protests at the Foxconn facility there, which is um, very important for the global supply chain. It makes about uh, 70% of the uh, global iPhone shipments, including the iPhone 14 models. Now, Foxconn had said that it's apologizing for what it describes as a technical error in worker pay, which uh, appeared to trigger those violent protests. Uh, Foxconn is offering $1,400 for uh, new recruits that depart. And uh, um, Apple has sent in staff and says that it's working with Foxconn to meet 
the employees' uh, demands. Now, there have been plenty of questions at this point as to whether or not Foxconn is going to be able to meet its internal end-of-month goal to have that operation up and running. Now, uh, another uh, concern, of course, is how the tightening COVID curbs are affecting the overall economy, because not only are they there in Zhengzhou, but also in various cities, including Beijing. Here in Beijing, there's been a bit of a pushback um, in what we're starting to see more of a trend, uh, something described as connected dragon packs. And this is where residents are now starting to organize because of these unofficial lockdowns and are signing packs where they are agreeing to push back against government authorities that might be coming to their residences and saying that they're going to stay together and quarantine at home and stand by their infected neighbors. So this is an interesting development. We don't know whether or not it's going to have um, so much of an impact at the end of the day. However, the point is that the residents are trying to use the Chinese law and force the government authorities to abide by those laws. So an interesting development, uh, uh, Andrew, um, and we're going to see whether or not it gets anywhere. Eunice, have you ever seen anything like this? And, and what do you think the potential legal ramifications are for those who are going to be part of these packs? Could you see uh, a real, not just lockdown, but, but worse in terms of uh, arresting some of these people? I mean, what, what, what are the real implications of what this could be? Or are there so many people involved that this could be such a massive protest nationwide that actually the government actually does have to push back or, or not push back, but, but let, let down? Well, the typical reaction is that the, the government authorities just uh, crack down on these on, on residents and they they'll just uh, take you away to government isolation facilities. You don't really have much of a, a um, any a real um, authority to be able to push back. Um, however, what's interesting is that that they're organizing so that these are individual communities that are trying to organize and push back and that they're using the illegal means because a lot of the people are, are quite educated and they're saying, OK, well, we agree in this pact. And according to Chinese law, you're not supposed to be doing this. So whether or not that's actually going to get anywhere um, is still up in the air. But what's interesting is to see the trend that it's popping up, um, you know, more and more. And um, that that's something that we haven't really seen so far. Eunice, uh, want to thank you. I, I can't get this China story out of my head, and I'll tell you my thinking on this, which is it was always thought the Chinese regime was brutal, they were dictators, but they were smart. Now I feel like the idea is they're brutal, they're dictators, and they're dumb. This whole COVID thing, the idea that now Apple is building a new facility in Arizona, I don't know what percent, I think it's still a small percentage, but that they're not a good place to do business. This COVID lockdown thing they're doing has not helped them at all. If they, if, if they were showing me that they were having better results, people were healthier, and it was, it was but there's no reason for it. Well, and and, and they, you, they could argue that they've seen better results. We lost a million people to COVID, but the problem is you can't control this for forever. And they have not taken the time that they bought themselves with the lockdowns to get a vaccine out that's effective effective vaccine or to do anything along those lines to prepare for it with the hospitals so they I, I would agree that they haven't they haven't used the time accordingly so as a result they've basically been trapped in a holding pattern and now they're going to have to deal with what the rest of us dealt with all along anyway and, and just so everybody knows I, I keep looking at this as a key way to understand the inflation dynamic in this country China's the supplier and and trying to understand the economics of what's going on these days 
has been this kind of rubber band of supply and inventory. China opens up, we get inventory. China closes down, there's no inventory. GDP goes like this because of it. It's not obviously the only reason to think about this stuff, but you want to understand when are we going to possibly normalize well, supply I, chains. I think the bigger issue is supply chains are not going to go back to what they were. This is the new normal, if you want to use that phrase. And what, you, what, what you're seeing happen is companies that are finding all new ways to get sourcing out of China so that they're not so right. reliant on that. And that's not going to go back. Nobody... Everybody but does China understand that? Does, does China get that? Do they know that there were... But first of all, the, the, it, this was an idea that was brought forward, by the way, by Ron and Sana number, uh, a couple months ago. He's like, we're reorganizing supply chains for security, mm -hmm. not for efficiency. Yes. That means, 100%. by the way, a permanently the higher price. Way. It's a permanently higher price. So, yes, that's permanently higher costs that are coming in. But we have realized the error in our ways. You cannot be so heavily reliant on one place because it is a national security issue. Especially now that it comes to defense issues as well, which is playing a bigger, bigger role in thinking yeah, about but it's not things. it's not going to change and even in the united states how patterns have changed i was reading last week about how the east coast ports particularly new york and new jersey the port of new york and new jersey is now doing more traffic than the california ports are at this point and that was because california had so many problems but once people figure out a workaround and they start bringing to east coast ports that's a hard habit to break too that's um, interesting because i was reading some reports that the backlog at the west coast ports is cleared now I think that's still the more efficient way to do it, but you're, you're right. Can, can I rely on it if I bring the ship there? Is my stuff going to get across the country? Right. So it's all interesting points. It's all new territory. I just don't know if China understands what it's dealing with here, that people are going to reorganize and they're going to lose business because of it. Um, they may be realizing that at this point, which may be why you are seeing less stringent COVID and allowing local authorities to start to take charge, because when Apple comes in, and says, we're not getting what we need. Apple now has employees on the ground there. That's probably a wake-up call. We also want to talk about the state of retail right now and the consumer on this Black Friday. Bertha Coombs is joining us right now live from a Target in northern New Jersey. What's the hot item, Bertha? Uh, there, there's plenty of them, but you know... You know those scenes from the movies and from years past where you saw people lining up overnight to kind of jostle their way into their early morning doorposters? That all went away with the pandemic. This morning they opened their doors here at 7, and it was a fairly ordered crowd. They really didn't seem, the early birds were not in a rush. You know, the National Retail Federation predicts that more than 160 million, 66 million of us will be shopping mostly in store this weekend. But for one family I met this morning, today's Black Friday shopping started with a trip to Walmart, which opened an hour earlier. Their mission, finding real bargains. But so far, they're not finding what they're looking for. Basically, not the bargains you'd hoped? Not at all. Nothing. I mean, like, I'm not going to save nothing, like, with the sales that they have, because they don't have none. It's like, there's no sales this year. It's terrible. Not what she was looking for and expecting in that doorbuster environment. It's really looking like it could be a season where consumers are going to play that game of chicken. The NRF predicts that sales will be up between 6 and 8% this year, reaching nearly a trillion dollars. Annals at Bain think it's going to be up there as well, but we all know prices have gone up. And adjusted for inflation, they're talking a 1% to 3% gain. And some of that could come a lot later. You know, there are four weeks between now and Christmas. And if the Mendez family and a lot of folks who are pinched by inflation is any guide, you're going to see a lot of consumers trying to push those retailers to have deeper discounts and wait longer for them. Back to you.
I'm waiting for him, Bertha. I'm waiting for him. But, you know, I'm a cheapskate. I'm a cheapskate. Bertha Coombs, happy <laughs> I've holidays. I've already bought a couple of things. Becky Quick knows I'm a cheapskate. Uh, you're not a cheapskate. You're just cautious and conservative with your money. That's a good thing, especially if you're going to invest it. In the meantime, though, let's stick with retail theme. Joining us for that is TJL Advisors CEO Terry Lundgren. Of course, he's the former Macy's CEO and chairman and the founder of University of Arizona's TJL Center for Retail Education. Terry, it's been a long time. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too, Becky. Thank you. So here we are on Black Friday, and this is a day I think you've worked your entire life. Um, this is an important day, and it's a big day to tell us a little bit about what to expect this holiday shopping season. Where, where do things stand so far? Well, first of all, uh, it's been a good year for retail. Um, you know, we're, we're on top of a 14% increase in retail sales last year. We're probably going to have another 7% uh, gain this year. So, so overall, it's been, it's been a good year, and we're going to finish these next uh, six weeks strong. So, so I understand, uh, you know, lots of commentary back and forth about waiting and the like. At the end of the day, uh, we'll end up with record sales uh, this holiday season, and, and it will be very strong uh, the, over these next few days between today and um, and and cyber cyber Monday. So consumer still has has money. I mean, this, some of the people you've you've talked to uh, don't, and 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 I, I worry about uh, you know how it's stratified. So the higher household incomes have got plenty to spend. Uh, they're going to spend it on luxury accessories, in my opinion, this year and fragrances. Uh, that middle household income, which is really really critical to us, Becky. Uh, that group, a lot of that group has money too. Uh, 1.6 trillion more than they had in 2019 pr prior to the stimulus uh, relief packages. Uh, so so there is money to spend. It is dwindling and it's dwindling fast. Um, but at least for these next uh, six six weeks, there's money to spend. I strongly believe just following consumers as I have for most all of my career, they will spend it over the next uh, next five, six weeks. Hey, Terry, we spoke with Jan Niffen in the last hour, and he gave a pretty interesting analysis, just saying that things are back to normal at this point. It's the last three years that have been completely abnormal and aberration because of COVID, lockdowns, then people having money and getting back out. He thinks we are kind of back to normal, where people are, the stores are getting back to the right inventory levels. The consumers got the ability to spend, and they do that during holiday. And the question is, Will they finally become afraid for their jobs? Will the Fed convince them that we're going to slow this thing down enough that you might lose your job? If that happens in 2023, we'll see them back off. But they're not backing off for holiday. They've said, I don't care what the Fed's got to say. I've got money. I've got spending capacity. I want to go do things, and I'm going to do it despite the Fed. That's right, damn it. Does that sound right to you? It does. Um, you know what happened last year? Of course, as I said, we had this huge increase last year. And many retailers sort of lost control of the inventory situation. They were desperate. Shelves were empty, if you remember. And people were sold out of, of, of key products. So they doubled down and were ordering from multiple sources. And we got burned. Uh, we had too much inventory. And in some cases, those retailers are still working that through. Uh, that's bad news for those retailers in terms of short-term earnings. It's good news for consumers because they have to get rid of this inventory, Becky, by the end of this year. And so they're, there are going to be sales by a lot of the a lot of retailers uh, who are who have too much inventory if there's if their inventory is up 15 or 16 percent going into the fourth quarter and their sales are forecast to be flat or, or down or up two or three percent 
they got a challenge on their hands because at, starting January one, there's no, you know, the, the, the rate of sale is diminished so much that, that you, it's almost impossible to get rid of big lumps of inventory after the end of the year. So, so there's motivation on the part of retailers and that'll be good news for consumers. Hey, Terry, how important is it for Black Friday to be really good? Because I remember not too long ago, there was a season when Black Friday was gangbusters and everybody was like, wow, it's going to be a great season. And then it trailed off. I just want to make sure people get the right signal from the noise with what's going on. Yeah, no, it's good, Steve. Good point. Uh, well, for, first of all, yeah, I remember I used to stand outside the Macy's Herald Square store. We had people going around the building counting how many thousands of people were in line ready for the, the store to open. But as the online business became a, a, a greater percent of the overall all business, those lines uh, you know, have, have diminished. There's less of that urgency. And, and, uh, and as Jan Niffen said, you know, we are getting back to normal, but we're not there 100%. We're not we're not back to that that fr- that Friday Black Friday frenzy that I was just describing, and so so I, it doesn't mean that the numbers aren't going to be there because the combination of online and physical store f- uh, retail ultimately will prevail and will have record record sales, in my opinion. The, but Friday today is important for momentum. It's important for for uh, for you to have a, a good experience, a good positive experience going into the stores, and you'll want to go back. That extra uh, Saturday at the end of the uh, of the of the period is really important that that it's really really important and it does matter and it will show up in the numbers at, at the end of the day so so I, I think yes there's going to be uh, getting a quick start is important but we've got time this particular holiday season uh, to sell through this inventory that I've described and the retailers will have time to adjust pricing if necessary uh, to to to, uh, to see the momentum to clear clear through the the, the goods that they uh, that they need to clear Hey, Terry, um, we are talking about a great employment picture in this country right now, less than 4%, but you're also talking about inflation that is definitely pinching people, especially at the lower income stratosphere. Um, We heard it from Target. We heard it from Walmart that they are seeing people trade down to other things, other proteins like uh, peanut butter and hot dogs instead of the meat that they might have been buying before. How does that play out in this environment, this holiday shopping season? Who gets affected by it? What gets pinched? Yeah, it's 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 100% correct. Um, as I as I kind of alluded to earlier in my comments, you know that higher household incomes is frankly fine. That 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 up the upper half of the middle household income group also is is fine. Uh, the lower household income, Becky, they're they're only buying needs at this point and, and not the things that they would want to buy. And, and so you've just described that that consumer and that consumer is in a pinch. That money is gone and they're racking up uh, credit card debt. So um, that is uh, cl- clearly a challenge. But overall, you know, the, and what's going to drive the economy uh, and, and GDP in this fourth quarter is going to be that middle household income group, that large group. And they will be a combination, as I said, stratified. If, they, if they're in that upper group, they, they're, they're fine. They're going to continue with their shopping habits and, and provide those great gifts, those wants that, they're, that they're, you know, they're, they're, if their family or their friends are going to want and desire. But that lower lower half is going to be uh, more about what I can a- afford, frankly, and that does create a challenge for the higher income uh, the, or, or the, the the higher price products, and it will drive prices uh, dr- drive 
demand down to the uh, off-price retailers. I think Walmart is actually positioned well. They had a phenomenal uh, third quarter, and, and I think that momentum is good. I think they burned through a lot of their inventory issues that they had earlier. So, And they, they, they are considered you know, a low-cost provider, if you will. So I do think at the end and over time, uh, they'll show up well in the environment that I just described. Terry, you know this industry better than anybody and especially better than we do. What, what's the question we haven't asked you that we should have? Well, you know, maybe uh, about the luxury business because uh, you know, I don't want to ignore that. What happens, you know, toward the end in particular uh, is, is that, um, you know, the, the higher end products, there'll be plenty of those to, to choose from. Uh, and, and luxury will sell, and they won't require a discount. You know, it'll, it'll be more of a, a scarcity item. And then the other piece, which I think benefits, uh, if I can make a plug for my, my former uh, company, Macy's, Macy's is the largest seller of, of, um, of what we call prestige fragrance in the United States. And that's a fabulous last-minute gift. When you run out of ideas, when you run out of time, that's your go-to Steve, just in case you're wondering, that's your go-to gift and your go-to location uh, for, uh, for fine fragrance. The question is, what is Terry sending me this year? He sent me a red velvet jacket one year. He sent me socks another year. I don't know what he's going to send this year. What? I get nothing. Terry, do well, you still own a lot of, uh, of Macy's <laughs> shares? Is that still a big yeah. portion of your net, net worth? Yeah. Uh, no, no. Over time, I've over time I've diversified, uh, Becky. So, but I. But the answer is, it still it's it still matters to me. <laughs> yes, it definitely still matters. And I'm one of those guys who's the uh, uh, you know who's been a long term holder, haven't sold um, almost anything you know in in the last few years certainly. Uh, and I got a lot of faith and confidence in the the team there. Terry, thank you. And, and we'll leave what you're getting for Steve as a surprise this year. Let's he sent tell. me socks because yeah. I was at a conference where he was at. And, he was. And, where he was. Thank you. <laughs> thank and you, my Becky. my socks didn't you're go welcome. up all the way. And it showed my legs. He's like, Steve, what are you doing? So, he's so like, he sent me these long socks. Yeah, he sent me these long socks. Cover up them socks. gams, man. Put these socks on. Okay. Bye, Terry. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Ooh. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. What's your bet on Christmas, Becky? Good Christmas, bad Christmas? Oh, this We've is an argument for 20 we've been years. having for 20 years. Go ahead. More than that, actually. What do you think? Um, see, here's the debate we always go back to. Are you talking about good for Christmas, meaning from the economy's perspective, which has always been the consumer. Or from the consumer. consumer's perspective? Yeah. Okay, from the stores, I think it's a mixed bag, depending on what they've got. From the economy overall, I think it'll be decent. Anyway. I think it's a solid that's Christmas. That's all the time the win for the consumer, because you're going to find sales. Some, finally, after three years. Steve, thanks for being here today. Great that to does be here. it for us. We will see you next week. And that's Squawk Pod for today, this Black Friday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Steve Leisman for sitting in today. You can tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern or follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.